Let's uh, pray. We will get into the word here and uh, get going. So let's see. Make sure I got my mic on. Otherwise, I'll be doing lip reading during the service there. All right. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, and I do want to lift up my dad and Lynn, and I pray that, uh, Father, that you would help them right now, that they would heal from this quickly, that it would be one of those cases that uh, does not impact them greatly, as it does some. So, Father, would you please take care of them, and uh, even today, just encourage them and help them to get the the medical attention that they need, and uh, just work out all those details. You know all the things going on, Lord. And, uh, Father, I do pray for anybody else within our fellowship. I think of Jeff and his kids, and as they're recovering, and we pray for little Everly that she'd just help that cough to go completely away and uh, that she would feel better, Lord. And uh, thank you for for helping them all to get past this. And, uh, Father, you know, now as we kind of separate ourselves from the things in this world and we put ourselves in a place where we can hear from you, Lord, would you speak directly to each of our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and uh, meet us where we are in life, Lord. Meet us right here as as we're here because we want to be impacted by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, you know, we saw Jacob begin to pronounce blessings upon his children as he was preparing for his own death. Uh, He started out with Joseph and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was there that Jacob adopted Joseph's sons uh, and included them into the blessings. You know, but remember, that wasn't the only shocker. Not only did he adopt those two kids... Uh, But he gave Ephraim, the younger son, the greater blessing than Manasseh. And we talked about that, how, you know, Jacob was crossing his hands and how we're like that in life. You know, oftentimes we're like, no, God, you're doing it wrong and we're trying to fix it. And God's like, no, I I know, I know, I know exactly what I'm doing here. And uh, this, this is intentional. This is something that needs to happen. But we're often like them so many times. You know, that instance for Jacob was such a tremendous act of faith, which is just shocking to me because you think about that, you know, what he did was he adopted those two grandchildren, make them, made them his own, then gave the greater blessing to the younger son. That was such a tremendous act of faith that that's actually included in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11.21. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and, Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Yeah, you think about that. It's like there's a lot of things that that happened in Jacob's life. There was some good and there was some really bad. There was a lot of kind of in between. We've we've covered a lot of territory with him. But when we think about what was important to God, that he would include that instance in the Hall of Faith with all the other heroes of the faith who, who displayed great faith in their life, it was that occasion that the Lord preserved in his word forever. It was that occasion, and and it just got me thinking about that, like, you know, maybe some things that we think about are not, you know, we think are not worthy of such great uh, faith sometimes. Maybe we're not doing things so well. Maybe it was no big deal to us that we stepped out in faith. Who knows how the Lord is viewing those things? See, because I, you know, I can only speculate, but it seems to me that that was a very important thing that had to happen because, of course, what, was, what were we heading towards? What was he lining up when he was crossing his hands and he was choosing Ephraim over Manasseh? He was, he was setting up the seed, the promised seed, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the Messiah that was to come. And by faith, Jacob obeyed. He obeyed. It didn't make sense probably at that moment. Uh, But whatever it was, however the Lord revealed to him that that's what he needed to do, he obeyed in that moment. And and we need to remember that, that obedience is important. 
You know, when we're stepping out in faith, when we're acting in faith, when God is, remember, I, I believe that faith is a supernatural gift that's provided by God. God gives us faith, distributes the faith to us in whatever proportion he desires, and then our responsibility is to act with that faith and take action. That Put it into practice. Do what we're supposed to do. So we act with the faith that he supplied, and then he rewards us and blesses us just for being obedient. That's what we see right there. He was just being obedient to what God told him he needed to do, and he did it, and God says, that's worthy of Hebrews chapter 11. It's amazing. What a dramatic change for Jacob, the guy that we have come to know over these last several months. Like I said, we've seen some really good things. We've seen some really bad things in Jacob's life. A commentator, C.H. McIntosh, said of this event, The close of Jacob's career stands in most pleasing contrast with all the previous scenes of his eventful history. It reminds one of a serene evening after a tempestuous day. The sun, which during the day had been hidden from view by the clouds, mists, and fogs, sets in majesty and brightness, gilding with its beams in the western sky and holding out the cheering prospect of a bright tomorrow. Thus it is with our aged patriarch. The, the supplanting, the bargain-making, the cunning, the management, the shifting, the shuffling, the unbelieving, selfish fears, all those dark clouds of nature and, uh, and of the earth seem to have passed away, and he comes forth in all the calm elevation of faith to bestow blessings and impart dignities and that holy skillfulness which communion with God can alone impart. He just shows that the closing of his life, it's like the Lord, just that picture that he gives her, I think is really nice. Like, you know, yesterday in Oregon, right? Cloudy and misty and cold and terrible. And this morning, the sun's out and it's beautiful for five minutes anyways, right? Uh, But it's, you know, you have this beautiful thing. And he's like, that was his life. It was like, there was this cloud and mist and fog and, you know, little sunlight every once in a while. But at the very end of his life, the sunshine, like in majesty, like, he, he nailed it at that moment. He nailed it. What he was supposed to do, he finished well. Chapter 49 continues on with Jacob's blessings for his other children. So in verse 1 it says, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather around and I will tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Come together and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Think of that sentence right at the very beginning. Gather around and I will tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Talk about a family meeting you want to be a part of, huh? Gather around and I will tell you the things that will happen to you in the days to come. That was a mix of blessings that he was going to give and prophecy that he was going to speak. Uh, Some of it was not going to be so much like blessings. We'll see. The beginning of this was not so much blessings, it was more prophetic than it was blessings from our perspective. But I can't even imagine, you know, showing up and having someone tell you, come and hear what the rest of your, the trajectory of the rest of your life is going to be like. Sit down and I will tell you what it's going to be like for the rest of your life. That's amazing. I also noticed that, you know, it says, look at the contrast. He says, sons of Jacob, listen to your father Israel. I think there's some things hidden in there. I think there's, some, there's a reason why it's worded that way. You know, I can't help but think that perhaps Jacob, as he was dying, he was finally exiting this world as he was supposed to be, Israel. It was like no more going back and forth between the old man Jacob and Israel. No more Simon Peter type thing, right? It was like he's going to exit as Israel. 
This is what God's been doing in his life. Mission accomplished. It took the entirety of his existence upon the earth to do it. But he's exiting as Israel. Leaving, the man, leaving as the man that God had called him and created him to be. A passage that I refer to a lot. You know, Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a promise that God has given all of us. And, and you may be, you know, I, I think about Jacob. There had to be times, especially as he lost Joseph and he was kind of in that time where he just kind of hated life and was upset and bitter and his favorite wife had died and all those things that had happened that had been so terrible at that maybe three quarters way through his life section, right, where things were bad. And he must have thought, this is it. This is my, my best days are behind me. You know, I had sparks where, you know, I saw the ladder and there was times where I went in and did the things I was supposed to do and, you know, all these great things. But he was looking back to how God had used him in the past. I don't think that he probably thought that God was going to use him at the end. And I think that that's a danger that a lot of us fall into. We get into that place as we age. We start thinking that, well, I've had too many things happen. I'm, I've gone through too much stuff or I've had too many hardships or I've made too many mistakes. And God can't use me. It, my, my glory days are behind me and that's what we'll celebrate in heaven. This was the end of his life. This was the very, very end of his life. And this is where he's shown the brightest. And we can't, we can't give up on that hope. See, I think, I think when he said sons of Jacob, he was saying, you know who I was. Sons of Jacob, you know who I was. Now, listen to your father, Israel. The one who received the promise. The one whose God is God Almighty. Listen to this man. And what a significant thing to say to your kids. I think there's also a challenge to the children as well, to the sons. You know, you, my sons, need to also transition from being sons of Jacob to becoming sons of your father, Israel. You need to make that same transition. You need to go from who you were to who God has called you to be. Look at me. Look at, look at the example that I'm giving you. And I need you to be those kind of men as well. They need to fully embrace the calling upon their own lives. Jacob was called by God. He was chosen by God. He had a plan that God had given him. And he's saying, you, sons of Jacob, you need to start thinking like sons of Israel now. This is being handed on to you. This is being passed down. This promise that God has given me, it's coming now to you. I'm handing the baton off. Sons of Jacob, you must become sons of Israel. God has to do this work inside of you as well. Right away, he starts giving the first admonishment to his son Reuben in verse 3 it says Reuben you are my firstborn my strength and the first fruits of my fertility excelling in prominence excelling in power turbulent as water you will not excel because you got into your father's bed and you defiled it he got into my bed man at the beginning of that Reuben was like oh, this is gonna be good my firstborn, my strength, and the first, first fruits of my power, excelling in prominence, excelling in power. He must have been like, oh, that's great. And then right away, man, turbulent as water, you will not excel. And then he goes on to tell him why. Clearly, Reuben was a very gifted individual. And there was a time where Jacob had very high hopes for him. 
he had what I would call the it factor of leadership, right? You know, typically leaders, it's, it's really hard to be in a leadership position if you're not, if you're not gifted in a certain capacity. I, I've seen that in business. I've seen it in ministry. I've seen it where, you know, people are, I, I have a saying that, you know, there's a, on being a servant of God, it's a book by Warren Wearsby. It's, it's probably one of the best books I've ever read on leadership, uh, on being a servant of God. As I was reading it, though, what I realized, what the Lord had given to me, because I was thinking of one particular ministry, person within our ministry at that time, and what became very evident to me is, you know, every outstanding leader will be an outstanding servant. If they're going to be an outstanding leader, I mean, somebody who's truly, truly phenomenal, they're going to have a part of servitude within them. A great leader will be a great servant, but not every great servant is a great leader. Sometimes they're not. They're not fashioned that way. I've seen people struggle like that, you know, whether it's in work or in ministry where, you know, maybe they have the gift of helps. You see somebody who's in church and they're just helping all the time and they're doing all kinds of things. So the natural reaction for a lot of people in leadership within the church is to look on them and say, well, because they're helping so much, they must be a great leader. And so they elevate them and they put them in positions of leadership. Okay, you're over the deacons now, right? You're in charge. And they're just miserable. And they struggle and they don't have the administrative skills and they don't have the organizational skills. And they don't, you know, they're just, that's just not who they are. They were fashioned as a great leader, I'm sorry, servant, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a great leader. Sometimes that's the worst place to put them. Put them back to where they're serving and they just excel and they thrive and they just do wonderful. And that's just the way God has made them. But same thing in work too, right? I mean, you have people that work hard and they work hard, they work hard, and then you put them in a position of leadership and they can't lead. They can do everything themselves. They can, you know, in my case, they can run the back room, they can do all kinds of stuff, but then you put them into a position of leadership and it's like they struggle. They're not gifted as a leader. It seems to me that Reuben was very gifted as a leader. He was strong. He was powerful. He had, you know, he just had that whole thing where when he showed up, I mean, people knew who was in charge. It was Reuben. But he had some huge character flaws, flaws that were so great that they would eventually cause him to forfeit the rights that came with being the, the firstborn. I'm just going to read this to you. I don't refer often to paraphrases, but uh, the New Living Translation translates this passage, Genesis 49.4. It says, But you are as unruly as the waves of the sea, and you will be first no longer. For you slept with one of my wives, you dishonored me in my own bed. Man, when did that happen? Do you guys remember? Genesis chapter 35. Just a week ago. I'm joking. I don't know how many months that was. <laughs> Genesis 35. It says in verse 22, While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard about it. That's all that was said. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with one of his concubines, Bilhah, and Israel just heard about it. Doesn't say he did anything. He just heard about it. This would have been the mother of one of Reuben's half brothers. To personalize it, it would have been he had other half brothers in particular. That would have been uh, let's see here, Dan and Naphtali. 
Those two guys. They would have been his mom that he slept with. Can you imagine the disgust you would have if your stepbrother slept with your mom? How would you feel as one of those brothers? Can you imagine how angry you would be as, as the husband and father? If you heard that? This was more than just an act of lust. When a son slept with his father's wife, it was a statement, a declaration of him seeking to usurp his father's authority. This was something he was doing, making a statement. He was sleeping with his father's wife, not his mother, his stepmom. There was another instance of this that we, we studied when we were going through 2 Samuel chapter 16. And this was when David's son Absalom did the same when he was trying to overthrow the government of his father David. I'll read it to you in 2, Sim, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 16, 21 through 22. It says, Ahithophel replied to Absalom, Sleep with your father's concubines who he, who he left to take care of the palace. When all Israel hears that you have become repulsive to your father, everyone with you will be encouraged. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. Can you imagine how twisted that would be? David was on the run. He didn't want to fight his son Absalom. And Absalom took the concubines, which were remaining, and he took them on top of a roof so that everybody could see, and he slept with them. He had sex with them. So that everyone knew he was in charge. It was to absurd authority. And that's what Reuben was doing. I'm the oldest. Dad's an old guy. He's passing away. I'm going to be running this soon. It's terrible. Like I said, for all those years, we have no record of Jacob dealing with Reuben for this transgression. But now, when it matters the most, that one decision in his life would have devastating consequences for the rest of his life. It's a reminder to us that there is always the possibility of one bad decision having a disastrous effect upon the rest of your life. One bad decision. And, and man, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but it's true. One bad decision can destroy the rest of your life. You have to be so careful. You may think, oh, it's no big deal. Nobody will ever find out. Man, one bad decision. This now is coming back to get him, isn't it? He forfeited the right. He was supposed to be the one through which the blessings were to come. A double blessing. Is, is forgiveness available? Yes. When somebody makes that one bad decision, is forgiveness available? Absolutely, forgiveness is available, isn't it? You can be forgiven. It doesn't mean that you're forever going to hell or you know that it can never be forgiven by the people that you've hurt or by the Lord himself. Absolutely, forgiveness is available, but oftentimes the consequences will follow you for the rest of your life. You have to be careful. Then he moves on to the next brothers. In verse 5 it says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their knives are vicious weapons. May I never enter into their council. May I never join their assembly. For in their anger they kill men, and on a whim they hamstring oxen. Their anger is cursed, for it is strong, and their fury, for it is cruel. I will disperse them throughout Jacob and scatter them throughout Israel. Verse 3 uh, First three sons didn't go so well. 
Do you remember the event that he's talking about here, though? This was in chapter 34. Now, this was when their sister Dinah was raped. Remember, Jacob had taken that detour. He was supposed to go. I forget where it was exactly he was supposed to go. But instead of going straight down, I remember the map up there, he kind of went to the left. And he camped out there and built a house. And he was like, this is where we're going to live instead. Well, by doing that, he camped in the midst of a lot of evil people. And one of those evil men, which was the son of the king, decided to rape his only daughter. And he kept, he kept her as a fugitive. He took her captive. And remember, then he comes and he tells the brothers and the dad, hey, you know, I raped her, but I love her and I want her to be my wife. Can I have her to be my wife now? And he still had her back home with him. And then these two came up with the idea, Simeon and Levi. They were like, okay, well, hey, this is what we'll do. We'll let you have her as your wife, and you can you know, intermarry with the rest of the Hebrew women if you do one thing. All of your men must be circumcised. And they agreed to it, and they all were circumcised. And then it says, on the third day, in Genesis thirty-four twenty-five, on the third day when they were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brother, took their swords, went into the unsuspecting city, and killed every male. They went in and slaughtered the men, killed them. When Jacob realized what they had done, this is what he said to him in, in 34.30. It says, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me, making me odious to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. He was angry, but that's all he said. Look at what it cost them. That one decision. After those first three rough blessings, we finally get to Judah, and that one is totally different. Verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until whose, he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. He ties his donkey to a vine and the colt of his donkey to the choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. For Judah, I wonder what he, how he walked up. You know, it's like it's now it's his turn and he's heard how it's gone for the first three brothers. And Judah was no saint. Trust me. Remember Judah and Tamar? You know, he ended up getting his daughter-in-law pregnant because he thought she was a prostitute. I mean, this guy was a gem. <laughs> you know, he made lots of mistakes too. But apparently, he made some changes. We saw that, remember, near the end. He made some changes. He was taking ownership of the things that he had done. He was willing to sacrifice himself so that Benjamin would not have to stay behind. There was a heart change that had taken place. Man, what a contrast, though, for the blessing that, that he was given. Israel tells him that his brothers will praise him and bow down to him that he was going to be a victorious warrior and fierce like a lion, and that his rule over his kingdom would not end until the one ultimate descendant ruler arrives. And the obedience of all the people belong to him. This king will preside over a time of peace and prosperity and power like never before. 
Who is that king that would, ascend, that would ascend from the tribe of Judah? Jesus. Talk about a prophecy. Man, all the way back in the book of Genesis. Guys, this is 49 chapters into this. It's already talking clearly about Jesus. About him coming. And like I had mentioned before, we had the first one in Genesis chapter 3. That there would be a seed born of a woman. You know, where that was going to come in and crush the serpent's head. Man, Genesis is loaded with messianic promises about the coming Messiah. Look how Jesus is described at the end. So we have the beginning of Genesis that we're reading, and then now let's flip, you know, turn over to Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. It says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one standing like like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures, and among the elders. There you see the picture of the lion and the lamb together in eternity. How did he conquer? Through being the slaughtered lamb. Amazing. Then Jacob continues on with the other sons. Zebulun will live by the seashore and will be a harbor for ships, and his territory will be next to Sidon. Issachar will, is a strong donkey lying down between the saddlebags. He saw that his resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he leaned his shoulder to bear a load and became a forced laborer. Dan will judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the road, a viper besides, beside the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider falls backward. I wait on your salvation, Lord. Gad will be attacked by raiders, but he will attack their heels. Asher's food will be rich, and he will produce royal delicacies. Natali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Now, all of those prophecies played out in subsequent history in each of, the, uh, in each of those tribes. I'm not going to go through those because I want to get to Joseph. Um, in verse 22, it says, Joseph is a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine beside a spring, its branches climb over the wall. The archers attacked him, shot at him, and were hostile towards him. Yet his bow remained steady, and his strong arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, by the God of your father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings from heaven above. Blessings of the deep that lies below, and the blessings of the breast and the womb. The blessings of your father excel the blessings of my ancestors and the bounty of the ancient hills. May they rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince of his brothers. When you think about Joseph, you know, here he was standing before him. And we know that he's already received, basically, he's got the, the right to the firstborn now. His life was indeed fruitful. Which is interesting because, as it says here, he was constantly attacked in life. Constantly attacked. But what, how did he handle it? He remained steady throughout it all. You know, sometimes when we're going through bad things, all you can do is pray, Lord, just help me to be steady. Just help me to stand. Help me not to fall. 
Help me just to, you know, help me to make it through this time and not to blow it. Just keep me steady in the midst of this. One of the things that Joseph is praised for is because he remained steady. He didn't overreact. It says his bow. A bow is used for war, right? Shooting arrows. But it says his bow remained steady. He didn't fight back. He didn't try to take it himself. When it says that his strong arms were made agile by the hands of God throughout his hardship. That word agile means to solidify through refinement, to make strong. If you've ever seen, there's some shows now where, I forget what the name of it is. I've caught a couple episodes on there where they build like swords and stuff, right? Uh, Forged in fire or something like that. I I don't know what it is. Steel, there you go. Okay, you sinner. No, I'm just joking. Okay. (laughs) No, No. but anyways, but it's interesting because it it shows how they do it in the blacksmiths, you know, when they have that art and they show how, you know, they heat it up and then they beat it and they heat it. And it's just this constant process, you know. And when you think about, you know, how they remove the dross from the silver and it's just that constant refining of turning up the heat, removing the dross, turning up the heat, removing the dross, turning up the heat, removing the dross. You know, it's that's the picture that I get when I hear that, you know, that he was made agile because it's to solidify through refinement, to make strong. He went through so many things in life, so many disappointments. I mean, think of all the disappointments being betrayed by his brothers, being sold into slavery, being raised up within and then, you know, thrown into prison because of a false accusation. Then to be betrayed by the bakers and, you know, the other cupbearer. And then to finally get out, I mean, just, just this constant, like I said, his whole life was just up and down, up and down, up and down this whole time. That's the refining process. That's the refining process. It's kind of the heating it up to where it's red hot and then beating it with a sledgehammer on an anvil. That's life sometimes. You're like, man, I'm red hot. And it's all, ding, ow, <laughs> what are we doing here? I'm pounding out the impurities. I'm getting the air bubbles out of there. I'm making you stronger. How are you making me stronger? You're beating me. You're hurting me. No, I'm making you into a weapon. And I'm making you very strong. It's been my experience and and what I've seen is the strongest people, the strongest I've ever been has been when the Lord has done those things in my life where he's cranked up the heat and beat me a little bit with maybe some life things where I came out stronger. My heroes of the faith are not people that are always walking in victory. They're not my heroes. I don't care what their stories are, how grand it is. My personal heroes of the faith are people that have gone through it and remained faithful. Those are my heroes. And it doesn't have to be the person on the stage or behind a pulpit or, you know, movie person, whatever it is. It's the people who are just normal Christians who have gone through some very hard things in life. And they are stronger. You know how they're stronger, how they reveal their strength? Number one, they're still present. They didn't walk away. They're still present. Just their presence shows their strength. But where it really comes through is when I see them minister to others who are struggling. And it's like, man, you have gone through so much. You should, we should be ministering to you. But they're at a point in their life where they have become so strong that now they invest their life into ministering to others who are now going through those same processes. Those are the strongest Christians we have. The ones who have been through it 
and the ones that minister to others even though they have themselves. That's strong. And that, that was Joseph, wasn't it? Man, he just went through it. If anybody could have thrown like the ultimate pity party, it could have been Joseph. You know, I'm done, God. How many times? You know, I've done everything you've asked me to do and look what you've done. I mean, he could have really done it, but he didn't. He just continued to minister to people. He kept on taking care of them. He kept on being faithful with whatever God put him in charge of. And he just did it. He was so strong. And he was taking care of other people the whole time. Man, I, I want to be that kind of person. You know, if I'm going to be laying on the anvil, you know, for a large portion of my life, I, I want it to be, I want there to be strength that's forged out of it. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be broken. I don't want to be walking around whining or Eeyore, you know, the Eeyore Christian. Oh, life is so hard and everything is terrible. God doesn't love me. <laughs> I don't want to be that way. And I don't want to be that fake one walking around like, oh, Jesus is good. And oh, my life is just one victory to the next one. You know, you're a liar. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> or it's coming one or the other. I don't know. I don't want that either. I just want to be that person, that Christian that's solid. The one who's been through some things and, and God has made me stronger because of it, increased my faith and strengthened my resolve, and then allows me to minister to other people who are going through it because that's what's going to happen. They're going to go through it. So I want to be there to help them. That was Joseph. He was agile. I love, I love what, what Jacob says to him. You know, who was it that made him so strong? He's talking to Joseph. Who, Joseph, who made you so strong? He says, the hands of the mighty one of Jacob the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, the God of your father who helps you. Notice the transition. He's like, it was all about just who God was. And now he's like, the God who now helps you. The almighty who blesses you. Man. God himself was with him in all those different ways throughout all those sufferings and trials. But he made him steady and strong through that refining process, just like he does for us whenever we face trials of many different kinds in life. None of you have this verse on your fridge, but it's one that we should all know. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let that endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It's exactly what we're talking about with Joseph. This is, what, this is what Jacob is praising him for because you've been through it. You've had so many things, but yet your hand was steady and your arms were strengthened. God himself strengthened you through these things. Trials become endurance in our life. If we overcome the trials, we become stronger individuals, not just physically. Sometimes physically, we're weakened because of these things. Spiritually, we're stronger. When we go through all kinds of trials and various trials, various degrees, the Lord strengthens us as Christians. We become stronger. But it says... Let endurance have its full effect. In other words, don't interfere. Let it play out. Let, let endurance have its full effect. Stop trying to cut it short. How do we cut it short? Lord, would you just stop this, please? Just stop this right now. Just stop it. I'm not saying that God is your servant, you know, so he's not going to just automatically do everything you say. 
But that's our mindset sometimes. We need to escape. Just escape. Where's the window of escape? Okay, I know it's good for temptations. That trials too? Where's the window of escape? Give me the window of escape. We're looking for a way out when maybe God's trying to work a way in. And He's trying to work something in our life and He's trying to strengthen us. And again, it's that heating process and it's the slamming process and it's the, it's the hammer on the anvil process and it's making you stronger. With every blow, you become stronger. Our faith is made strong through the refinement of adversity. That's how our faith is increased. Through the word of God and through the refinement of adversity. He ends with this pronouncement for Benjamin in verse 27. Benjamin is a wolf. He tears his prey. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the plunder. You know, the tribe of Benjamin did indeed produce several vicious warriors throughout their generations. Uh, I'm not going to give you some examples of that, but if you want to do some homework, study Judges chapter 19 through 20, and you will see how vicious these men became. They were vicious. Uh, in some cases, just ruthless and, and terrible. Uh, this is the tribe of Benjamin, the type of men they became. In verse 28, it says, These are the tribes of Israel, twelve in all, and this is what their father said to them. He blessed them, and he blessed each one with a suitable blessing. Key word, suitable blessing. Suitable means an appropriate or proper fit. He gave them a proper fit for their blessings. Helps you understand the first three sons. In verse 29, Then he commanded them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hethite. The cave is in the field of Machma near Mamre in the land of Canaan. This is the field Abraham purchased from Ephron the Hethite as burial property. Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried there. Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried there. And I buried Leah there. This, the field and the cave in it were purchased from the Hethites. When Jacob had finished giving charges to his son, he drew his feet into the bed, took his last breath, and was gathered to his people. What an exit, the setting of the sun. It's like God gave him that last moment to shine. And he did. What tremendous prophecies did he leave behind for those 12 tribes that would come forth from him? Today, I just want to stop and pay particular honor to the one tribe. I'll let you guess which one it is, but uh, there's one tribe in particular that I want to finish off with. The lion from the tribe of Judah. Man, do you think Judah had a clue? You talk about grace. And a great th grace is un unearned favor, unworthy. Like I said, Judah was not perfect by any means. And yet the Lord bestowed upon him that blessing of having the Messiah come through his tribe. He could have routed it a different way. But it, he did it through the tribe of Judah. Man, when we read that passage again, there's going to come a time where we will experience this. Just think of that. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And that's exactly what he told Judah. 
You're going to be a conqueror. You're going to be like a lion, fierce. Jesus is going to fulfill that prophecy. It's going to happen. That slaughtered lamb saved our souls. But there's going to come a time when that conquering lion is going to reemerge. And we're going to see him in all that glory. We're told that there will be a time when there will be peace, when there people from all nations will be in subjection to him. That's coming in the millennial reign. That's going to happen. We're going to see that time where Jesus is physically ruling and reigning upon this earth and all tribes, all nations. I'm not talking in eternity. I'm talking in the millennial time. There's going to be a thousand-year period where every person on this earth, they will be subjected to him. They will be treating him with the honor that he deserved. And there will be peace, and there will be the things that, that everybody longed for, right, before eternity actually concludes and we step into eternity. But he is that lion. He he absolutely is that lamb. He's both. And when we think about the blessings that God gave those men, as undeserving as they were, I hope it gives us all hope that, wow, you know, God can still, despite my weaknesses and failures and mistakes that I've made, God can still have a plan that he's going to accomplish in my life. The thing is, though, we have to finish. We have to make the transition from Jacob to Israel. You know, the goal shall be for, for all of us, what it should be is all of us finish like Israel. I don't care what's happened in between. I don't care what your glory days were before in Christ. I don't care if right now you're peaking. I don't care what it is. We finish like Israel. We finish strong. No matter what stage you're at in life, no matter what illness you have, no matter what opportunities you lack, it doesn't matter. Spiritually, finish strong. That's what we need to finish with. That's my prayer for us. And what better way to to remember that than to take communion with one another? Okay, so we'll be taking communion here in just a minute. All right? So I'm going to turn, or actually, Scott, would you turn that off? And then uh, I'm going to read to you the passage.